0: The holiday season is here and we're celebrating it this year during a pandemic, but it's not unprecedented. We've done it before. We did it back in 1918, but it doesn't have to be the way that it was then. We really can learn from history instead of repeating it. On November 28, 1918, a notice ran in newspapers that read, quote, see that Thanksgiving celebrations are restricted as much as possible so as to prevent another flare up. Sounds familiar, right? Unfortunately, people didn't listen then, and they didn't listen this year either. Instead, millions of people hit the road and packed into airports and most likely spread the coronavirus from coast to coast again. Now, No one wants to be told what to do. I understand that, believe me. But let me instead tell you about what happened when people didn't listen to health officials' warnings back in 1918. The Spanish influenza pandemic followed World War I, which had been considered the war to end all wars, when America joined the fight in 1917. The first outbreak of what became known as the Spanish flu occurred in Haskell County, Kansas in January 1918, just nine months after the United States had declared war on Germany. It spread to other bases and then across the Atlantic to Europe with the American soldiers that entered the fight. Although the first cases of the disease were discovered in the United States and the rest of Europe long before getting to Spain, the epidemic received its nickname of Spanish flu because Spain, which was a neutral country in World War I, had no special wartime censorship for news about the disease and the accompanying death toll. Since it received reliable press coverage in Spain, people got the false impression that Spain was the most, if not the only, affected country. Our government didn't tell us otherwise because it wanted to keep up morale and not send the country into a panic. Well, the virus killed thousands in Europe before returning home to America with the returning troops. And the second wave turned out to be much deadlier than the first. Now, the first wave had resembled the typical flu, with those most at risk being the sick, the elderly, while younger, healthier people recovered easily. But in August, when the second wave swept across the United States, The virus had mutated to a much deadlier form, but it was just the flu, right? Initially, the pandemic was largely ignored by the public health departments. It was regarded as merely a minor outbreak until port cities, which saw the return of soldiers from Europe, began to report large numbers of illnesses and death. And that's when the public began to realize that something was very wrong. However, little was done officially to curb the spread of the virus. Doctors warned local health departments to quarantine the sick and to restrict attendance at large public gatherings. However, most towns, in the grip of patriotic fervor, resisted the advice and held rallies and parades for returning soldiers. The gatherings brought large masses of people together, further spreading the disease. Health officials told Americans to, quote, stay home and stay safe, but far too many people didn't listen. They ignored the orders that called for the closure of schools, churches, theaters, and other public meeting places. Most cities refused to halt their public transportation services until hundreds of transit authority workers fell ill and they were forced to do so. Soon the hospitals were overwhelmed with the dead and had nowhere to take the bodies. As the death toll mounted around the country, the social fabric of many communities began to unravel. In San Francisco, schools were closed for six weeks. In Philadelphia, bodies were, quote, stacked like cordwood and went uncollected. The police were forced to remove bodies from homes and families had to dig graves for their loved ones because gravediggers refused to work. Factories closed due to high absence rates. The people's indifference to the flu led directly to the rapid and deadly spread of the disease. They refused to wear surgical masks, believing that it would make them sicker or claim that it violated their personal freedoms in some way. Nearly one fourth of all Americans caught the flu in the fall of 1918, but as Thanksgiving grew closer, some cities relaxed their restrictions, mostly due to opposition from businesses, theater owners, restaurants, and mass transportation companies. The closures had been extremely unpopular, as had the mask mandates. In many cases, people who refused to wear masks were arrested, but officials had to stop enforcing the mandates because courtrooms were becoming overcrowded And spreading the virus overall though resistance to health measures was not as violent as it is today in 1918 the rules and regulations were helped by being wrapped up in patriotism surrounding world war one so most people followed them It also helped that the pandemic became a unifying event, which is the exact opposite of what's happened today. But of course, even in 1918, people refused to follow the mandates. Thanksgiving rituals brought back a welcome sense of normalcy for people. They returned to religious services, did charity work, and went ahead with planned football games, parties, and family gatherings. Adding to the problem was that cases were on the rise in many cities. Many health experts attributed the, quote, renewal of the epidemic to festivities on November 11th, which later became designated as Armistice Day, when crowds flooded the streets to celebrate the war's end. On November 27th, the day before Thanksgiving, St. Louis reported its highest daily case count since the pandemic began. Buffalo, which had ended its restrictions a few weeks earlier, also saw its largest jump in daily cases. Both cities subsequently banned all public gatherings, limiting the number of passengers on streetcars and asked people to please stay home for the holiday. In Salt Lake City, officials had already quarantined the city. Shops were not allowed to hold sales and all holiday celebrations were ordered postponed until Christmas. Signs that indicated households infected with influenza were placed on the front and back doors of nearly 2,000 homes. Officials in Los Angeles promoted a, quote, stay-at-home week during Thanksgiving. The Salvation Army in Chicago called off its annual dinner. Denver, under a face mask order, had recently been forced to open three emergency hospitals, but allowed Thanksgiving services with, quote, extra precautions to guard against the spread of the epidemic. They made churches install electric fans to move the air around, but that didn't do much good either. Many cities decided to hold traditional Thanksgiving Day pageants outside, but even that didn't help. After the holiday, there was a surge in cases in Cincinnati. Dr. Walter List, superintendent of Cincinnati's General Hospital, was quoted as saying, We are not in a happy frame of mind tonight. An institution such as this can stand the strain of an epidemic for five or six weeks, but when it continues for such a long period of time, the situation is complicated. The same thing happened in Kansas City. During Thanksgiving weekend, the number of flu cases at the city's general hospital doubled. Home quarantines were reinstituted and schools on break for Thanksgiving were closed until further notice. Even though restaurants were closed and private parties were prohibited for Thanksgiving in Spokane, Washington, the city's emergency hospital received more admissions on the Friday after the holiday than any other day during the pandemic. As one reporter noted, quote, the hospital was filled and death a frequent visitor. Cases continued to rise. Dallas, San Antonio, San Francisco, Minneapolis, and Seattle all saw new surges. Omaha relaunched a public health campaign. Cleveland and its suburbs closed schools and began new quarantines. On December 6th, it was announced that all Minneapolis schools were closed due to the new virus surge. Health officials asked movie theaters to exclude children, closed Sunday school programs, and ordered a ban on department store Santa's. Jolly old Saint Nick had come down with the flu. On Christmas Eve, Nebraska health officials began fining those who violated quarantines from $15 to $100. More than 1,000 homes in Omaha had signs posted on the doors that prohibited those inside from leaving until they had passed at least four days without a fever. Denver was forced to ban all Christmas parties for children. The Women's Press Club canceled its New Year's Eve ball. School Christmas assemblies at schools that were still open were canceled. Warnings went out to ban people from entertaining guests in their home and from borrowing books from the library if they were sick. As a thanksgiving gift to the country, America was fully engulfed in a new wave of influenza by January. It spread throughout the rest of the winter and into the spring, killing thousands more. During the pandemic, one third of the world's population was infected and approximately 675,000 Americans died before the virus finally subsided on its own in the summer of 1919. This year, in 2020, The United States has recorded more than 12 million cases of COVID-19, and as of this writing, more than 270,000 Americans have died. Dozens of states have revived restrictions from earlier in the year, and health officials echo the same stay-at-home guidance from 1918, and yet so many refuse to listen. If history tells us anything, it's that the risk of contracting or spreading the virus by gathering in groups, even at traditional holiday parties, is too great right now that we shouldn't do it. Is it disappointing? Of course it is. But wouldn't you rather be alive to celebrate the holidays next year? Obviously, I'm not a public health expert, and I'm not naive enough to think that anyone who really needs to hear this advice will still be listening, but if you are, I urge you to heed the wisdom of the scientists and stay home for the holidays this year. This is not a political statement of any kind. I don't care what your politics are. I'd just like to have you alive because if you listen to our show, you're part of our community and we value having you with us. This isn't politics, it's common sense and it's history. History really can teach us something if we're just smart enough to listen. Besides that, We've got enough ghosts to talk about already. We don't want to add you as another haunting that we'll be talking about in the future. So this is Troy Taylor, the non-scientist, the non-health official, signing off and hoping that you have a great and very happy holiday season. And please stay safe.